Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, June 8th through Friday, June 12th, 2020. It was a week of Black Lives Matter demonstrations, peaceful and otherwise. Discussion about the meaning of the term defunding the police. A massive reshuffling of political loyalties, walkbacks and apologies. Statues being pulled down in Dixie. A roller coaster ride on the stock market. The CCP stirring up crap in the South China Sea. Trump saying, come to my rally, but don't sue me if you get sick. And disturbing stats and projections about COVID-19. Welcome to the reopening of America. Coming up in the next hour, we'll be hearing from people with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices, sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do their daily dance of affirmation, all part of the verbal stew in which we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, an examination of the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, let's get this show on the road. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, a tie between immigration reform and the Russia probe review. Immigration reform is back in the national conversation as the Trump administration indicated this week it's preparing to roll out another set of restrictions on legal immigration, citing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic in an effort to protect job growth in the recovering economy. Among those changes is the closure of the southern border to migrants, including those seeking asylum unless certain conditions are met. Some critics say this is just an excuse to pass immigration measures that never would have had a chance of happening prior to the coronavirus crisis. And Russia, Russia, Russia stays in the news. Only now it's the president's defenders biting back. As the Senate Judiciary Committee voted 12 to 10 along party lines Thursday to allow its chair, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, to subpoena former Obama administration officials as part of the GOP-led probe into the origins of the 2016 Russia investigation. At number nine, communications technology and social media. The legal differentiation between social media outlets such as Twitter and Facebook being classified as publishers as opposed to platforms continues to be a hot topic of conversation. Our legal system is playing catch-up as it wrestles with the rapidly evolving concepts of free speech and societal responsibility in the digital era. And speaking of changes, even as the lockdown slowly loosens, the rapid advances in communications technology sparked by the crisis have perhaps forever altered the way we do business, travel, and carry out our relationships. At number eight, psychology and relationships. Speaking of relationships, it's becoming increasingly evident that cabin fever has put a severe strain on marriages and families who are not used to spending so much time together. A case can be made that pent-up frustration, anger, and even boredom have contributed to the demonstrations and social unrest sweeping the nation. People are increasingly becoming depressed both figuratively and clinically. At number seven, the education crisis. Administrators, department heads, and teachers are still facing uncertainty and debate within their ranks about if and how 
to open the schools in September, not to mention how to arrive at grades and numerous other complications generated by the COVID-19 crisis. As much as they are desperate to get the kids out of the house, parents across America are asking, will it be safe to send my child to school in September? Which at this point is right around the corner. At number six this week, U.S.-China relations tied with World Health Organization controversies. The drumbeat of criticism against China and its role in the origin and spread of the coronavirus continues to grow louder, as does concern over the competency of the WHO in how it's been doing its job during this crisis. Meantime, further adding to tensions between the world's two superpowers, U.S. military sources indicate China is using the coronavirus as a cover to push territorial claims in the South China Sea through a surge in naval activity meant to intimidate other countries that claim the waters. Not good. At number five, a three-way tie between the presidential race, politics, and Georgia primary chaos. The long lines and problems with faulty voting machines in this past week's primary in Georgia indicate that all is not well in assuring smooth and accurate elections come the general election in November further adding to the atmosphere of uncertainty and anxiety in American politics. And as far as the RNC is concerned, the decision's been made to move Donald Trump's acceptance of the nomination from Charlotte, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida. Meantime, the president is itching to get back out there on the campaign trail and has scheduled an opening rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on June 19th, known as Juneteenth, which marks the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation finally being fully enacted in 1865 and the end of slavery in the U.S. Tulsa also happens to be the site of a race massacre 99 years ago that remains one of the worst acts of racial violence in U.S. history. Many of his critics see Trump's selection of that date and place to hold a rally as a racist dog whistle to certain segments of his base. Also, on an interesting note, the Trump campaign is telling those who attend his rallies, by attending the rally, you and any guests voluntarily assume all risks related to exposure to COVID-19 and agree not to hold Donald J. Trump for President, Inc. responsible. At number four, the opening of America, sports and events. In an atmosphere of uncertainty, businesses are opening in phases around the country, but as indicated in the president's legal disclaimer about not being legally responsible for the health of supporters who attend his rallies, there is a tentativeness about the process that has people on edge. It's going to be fascinating to see how Major League Sports Leagues handle this process as baseball figures out how to save what is increasingly becoming a lost season, basketball and hockey deal with concluding their seasons, and football comes up with ideas such as keeping a quarantined quarterback on staff in case he's needed as they try to get their season going. On today's show, we'll be discussing sports and COVID-19 with one of the leading radio and TV sports talk show hosts in America. At number three, the economy and the stock market. After the premature elation of last week's positive job figures and soaring stock market numbers, reality set in this week, providing a much clearer picture of the dismal situation facing the American economy at least at the moment. The roller coaster ride continues with stocks taking their sharpest daily dump in three months on Thursday as grim economic forecasts and a worrisome uptick in new coronavirus cases rattled investors' confidence. At number two, COVID-19 in healthcare along with statistics and projections. Almost half the states in the union reported upticks in new coronavirus cases being diagnosed as a result of Memorial Day activities begin making themselves known. And we still have no idea what impact the demonstrations of the past couple weeks will have on the numbers. There seems to be a disconnect between what American politicians and many citizens wish will happen and what healthcare experts warn might happen if we let our guard down too quickly or too recklessly. At number one, a tie between the Black Lives Matter movement and the issue of police defunding. The internationally televised funeral of George Floyd, the peaceful demonstrations juxtaposed with the violence and looting, the call for police department defunding, concern over what that actually means, and the reshuffling of political positioning among members of both parties have thrust the Black Lives Matter movement and concern about race relations in America to the top of our talkers' conversation chart 
for the second week in a row. And as we put the final touches on this program on Friday, June 12th, Seattle, Washington takes the spotlight with its CHAZ, an abbreviation of Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, in which hundreds of demonstrators have taken over a zone spanning about six blocks of Capitol Hill, a hub of the city's trendy art scene that's been gentrified in recent years as tech workers have driven up property prices. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. Let's head on into the Big Apple and check in with Curtis Sliwa of 77 WABC New York. In addition to co-hosting the daily Curtis and Juliet program on the station, he's one of New York City's leading anti-crime advocates and the legendary co-founder of the public safety organization, The Guardian Angels. Curtis Sliwa, what the hell is going on in New York City? Oh, it's anarchy. And unfortunately, there's a fiscal collapse going on as a result of the pandemic, and then followed by the demonstrations, which take place every day. Sometimes it will follow by rioting and looting into the wee hours of the morning. And so, uh, no doubt, Home Depot is doing very well with all the plywood that has been sold, but all those iconic stores, all those iconic places that people from around America are used to, there's plywood everywhere. It's like a city that is in in just a decline, a massive decline. Wow, that is really sad to uh, to hear. Who are these people that are looting? If anybody is able to identify criminal types, uh, you are the man. Wh- who are these people? They're mostly street gang members because it's a paramilitary operation. They infiltrate into the actual demonstrations themselves. And remember... There are people out demonstrating in many instances because there's nothing else to do. Remember, they're not working. They're not going to school. Some of them are on unemployment. Some of them have got stimulus money. So all they can do, they go out morning, noon, and out to demonstrate. And most of them do it peacefully. But then at about 4 or 5 in the afternoon, a younger crowd begins to infiltrate the main body of demonstrators. And while they're screaming, no justice, no peace, Black Lives Matter, these younger, mostly African-American men begin scoping out all kinds of designer label locations. So they know in advance exactly where they're going to hit, what loot they're going to get, how they're going to disperse it, and how they're going to sell it, whether it's on eBay or out in the streets. And then at 8 o'clock at night, once the, it's uh, dark, then they just break loose. And it's like locusts through a cornfield, but it's it's systematic. They know exactly how to pry off the plywood. They're able to crack the locks. They're able to break the windows. And then they just pour in and begin to go for the most desirable products in that store. And they know in advance what it is. The one thing they're not doing that they used to do, and they still do in L.A. when they loot, is they're not burning down the stores because they have a, a code of conduct, believe it or not, which is loot now. Let them restore the product to the shelves, and then we'll come back and loot again. Because if you burn down the store, it's gone in perpetuity. That's how organized this is. I find it fascinating when you say they're organized. Would you say it's one central organization covering all of these gangs in Manhattan, or are they individually organized separate factions? Well, first off, it's so easy to organize now because you can flash mob instant. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Spontaneously through the technology available to you on iPhones and smartphones. So all you have to do is say it's a loot out. L-O-O-T-O-U-T. And everybody knows what positions that they have to take, what garb they have to dress, black hoodies, 
black uh, pants, black shoes, and they wear white masks, obviously under the guise of coronavirus. And they all look the same. And again, they move out in almost a military-like fashion and begin attacking the locations. Now, in advance of all this, Antifa, who are the white boys from the suburbs who are always looking to create problems because they believe in anarchy, they're providing tools to a lot of these gang members who are predominantly black and from the inner city. There seems to be some confusion, Curtis, about the term defunding the police. What exactly does that mean? Does it mean getting rid of the police completely? No, no, no. It's basically taking a stallion. That's uh, the representation that I have in my mind of police, strong, virile men and women, you know, ready to risk life and limb and go into the streets and turn them into a gelding. You're basically castrating their ability to be police. And then, if you just look at the more radical elements in Seattle and Portland and actually Minneapolis, where this all started, they, they don't want to defund the police. They want to eliminate the police. So, for instance, I'm a veteran of having been shot. You get shot, a call goes to 911, police respond. The way it would exist in Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis if they have their way is there will be no police. The people responding who will be the EMT, so they'll resuscitate you. Hopefully you won't die. And then the social worker can tell you of all the victims' compensation programs that are available in the city. But there'll be nobody to catch the criminals, nobody to stop the criminals, and they'll come back and do it again. It makes no sense. And yet this movement, Black Lives Matter, who are the leaders? What is their ideology? Where are the millions of dollars that corporate America is sending to them? What is that being used for? Where is that going? And nobody at this point wants to ask those questions. They basically want to buy insurance that they're, they're all in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And yet what they're doing is they're creating a movement that has no loyalty to Republicans or Democrats. No, Black Lives Matter doesn't want to elect Joe Biden or Democrats to hold the House or Democrats to take the Senate. They're in partnership with people who believe there should be no structure. Do away with the police, which is your first line of defense. Do away with borders. No more prisons. Well, where are prisoners going to go? People who commit crime. No, 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 no. They'll be back out in the streets. That is the definition of anarchy. That's the legendary anti-crime activist Curtis Sliwa, founder of the public safety organization The Guardian Angels and co-host of The Curtis and Juliet Show, heard afternoons on 77 WABC in New York. Coming up next, a conversation with the one and only Sean Spicer. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 1047 Wonk FM. Bernadette Duncan spent 26 years as a radio talk show producer. In her new book, Yappy Days, Behind the Scenes with Newsers, Schmoozers, Boozers, and Losers, she shares her adventures in the trenches of big-time talk radio during the changing backdrop of America's pre- and post-9-11 realities. This exciting story includes Bernadette's impressions of the quirky celebrity talk show hosts whom she served during her career. Larry King, Sally Jesse Raphael, Gil Gross, Tom Snyder, Lou Dobbs, Charles Osgood, and more. It's full of anecdotes about hundreds of high-profile guests from media, show business, and politics. Also quirky, ego-driven, and neurotic. Yappy Days, behind the scenes with newsers, schmoozers, boozers, and losers, an analytical look at the media, journalism, and the complex nature of ego. Get it now at Amazon.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap. The past four years have proven to be quite a wild ride for Sean Spicer. In less than a half decade, he went from being the communications director of the Republican National Committee to becoming the controversial and beleaguered White House communications director and press secretary to becoming a colorful, high-profile celebrity contestant on Dancing with the Stars to becoming a best-selling author and to recently landing his current job as a cable television nighttime political talk show host on Newsmax TV, where a couple of weeks ago he scored an exclusive interview with his old boss, President Donald Trump. I caught up with Sean at his D.C. office this past week. 
As the saying goes, it's been a long, strange trip. What's it like being Sean Spicer? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think initially it was uh, a little tough to grasp, meaning that, uh, you know, I grew up uh, a working kid in, uh, in Rhode Island um, and never thought that any of what has happened was ever in, in my future in, in any sense. Um, you know, I come to Washington to, to work on Capitol Hill and thought that I'd work, you know, a, a year or two and then head back to Rhode Island and, uh, you know, A, got hooked by politics and then B, uh, you know, was uh, really came into the Trump world in, in a unique way and uh, and never had really thought of, of what, what I, the, the pursuit that I had of being anything more than public service and, and you know, and that has turned out to, to be that, but plus so much more. Sean, during your time as a White House uh, press secretary, we saw tremendous changes in the way the president relates to the press and the way the president communicates to the public. Uh, And it's a process that is continuing to this day. Do you see the use of Twitter and uh, the changing of the nature of press conferences to be a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I mean, there's some good parts and there's some bad parts. Um, And I would say the good parts are that it, it is always good to know more about the folks that we're electing in terms of who they are as a person, what their personal thoughts are, uh, what their motivations are, what their what their positions on policy are. So from that standpoint, it's a good point. From the standpoint of that, it's that some can some of it can be a distraction from those very things. That's that's the bad part, right? So that the less you're talking about. Um, the, the actual policies that will change and affect people's lives, that's that's the detriment of this. So you see it as being a double-edged sword. Rather, the right. detrimental side to it. You see it's a double-edged sword, then, this uh, the new media and the presidency. Because I, I don't think it's going to change going forward um, after Trump. Um, I believe that... Um, well, I, I think it may not change, per, like, big picture, but I think that there's... I don't see another politician engaging um, is... I don't see another politician engaging the way that Donald Trump did. Um, for good or bad is what you're saying, just the, the level of engagement with the people aside from the press. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, in other words, I, I think, look, you're, you, there's very few politicians that I've ever seen on either side of the aisle that are going to write their own tweets and engage in the way that Trump does. Um, pick up the phone, just call media, engage with them you know, without being completely staffed and poll tested. So there is a uniqueness about his desire to engage that I don't think you're going to see in many other politicians. Oh, I see. So what you're basically saying is the system can only change as much as somebody would be as unique as Trump, and that's not likely to happen. So it'll correct. It'll, it'll default back to a, a more institutional. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, honestly, the next president, regardless of party, um, you know, will be much more in a traditional mold. So you're still in D.C., you're working for Newsmax, and uh, you are in the midst of uh, a lot of action this past couple of weeks, the, the riots, the demonstrations, the controversy, and uh, the discussion about race in America. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very troubled by it. Um, I, I just I, there's obviously a lot of unrest. And, um, you know, I, I, I am a I mean, I think that there are several things happening all at once. <clears throat> Number one, um, there is this outcry um, from the black community in particular about issues of systemic racism and police brutality that I think need to be heard and addressed. Um, I I think the protests have been – are healthy. That's what makes America great. Um, But I think that the rioting and the looting and and to some extent the excusing it by public officials has been very troubling – um, because, again, uh, protests can be loud, they can be boisterous, they can take a bunch of forms, but the second that they start crossing a line into destruction of property and threats and violence and killing of, of other folks, we've definitely crossed a line that, um, that, that you know, I just I, – I think is troubling because that should be where people say enough is enough. Um, and so I think we have to, we have to figure out how to address certain issues, um, in a way that, that is constructive, that, you know, um, gets the right kind of, of results without, um, destroying property, without, 
you know, uh, hurting businesses that, that are innocent bystanders and, and, and actually then hurting people and, and in some cases killing them. Sean, during your days at the RNC and at the White House, you were charged with bringing other people's opinions and information to the press. Now, as a talk show host, it's your job to give your own opinion. How does the role feel now that you are a talk show host on television and expected to come up with an angle and a position on everything? Uh, how well, how, I, I how is the, that? The, how the way that, that you feel? just phrased it is actually the, the, it really important is that based on my job, which has been speaking for other people, um, it has been um, uh, interesting to be able to, for the first time, have been able to publicly voice, I should say, is probably the best way to put it, publicly voice my own um, my own thoughts. Before, um, you know, it was less, it, it, you know, no one cared, if you will, what I thought. When you were interviewing Donald Trump recently on uh, on your show, and you have this, the, the camera is on, and it's live, and it's in a studio. It's not set, like you and I are separated by a phone. We're not sitting eyeball to eyeball. You're sitting there on this bare stage, two chairs, six feet apart, looking at each other. Um, what was it like being in that role with a guy that uh, you formerly were in a situation with that you had to do this dance, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, and yet you still seem to have a loyalty to him and you seem to be have good relations or he wouldn't have come on the show? How did you dance around that? That had to be, diff that had to be more difficult dancing with Trump than dancing with the stars, I think. Uh, I I was going to say, I knew there was, there was something in there. Um, it, it, you know, admittedly, there was a little bit of nervousness because I had, you know, our relationship was more of me working for him. And so I'd go in and say, tell me what I, what, here's what, you know, the issues are that are going to come up today. What do you think? How do you want me to communicate your position? And we would have that discussion. And this time, you know, to your point, I got to ask him the questions. And, um, and, and so I, uh, as far as how I went about it, I think part of it was to understand that watching him over time, I've reckoned. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recognize that the more you, how you approach him is everything to how he responds. And I think that when reporters go after him and attack him in their, in their questions, um, that, that to me is always one of those issues where, you know, um, uh, I say, okay, well, that's that. Then you, if you, that's the answer you're going to get. If you come at him hard, but sometimes if you can come at him and and say, you know, you've said the following, can you explain yourself or why would and give him an opportunity? He'll open up and give you a much better answer than if you just come, you know, straight at him like you're like you're trying to attack him. So, uh, so, so it's a matter of, of finesse. <laughs> I could imagine. I think so. I, I I do think that. Yeah, that if you if you can kind of come at him and, and, and have him explain his position, which is frankly what I think most, most you know, um, um, journalists want, right? You want the best possible answer. And if you're, if, you're, um, if you're not doing that, and in fact, you're just trying to attack them, you're probably not going to get the best answer that, you've, that, you, that you're seeking. And I don't see how that benefits, you know, your, your readership or your viewership or whatever medium you're on. Um, so, Anyway, I, uh, I I think I approach that with a series of trying to say, I know this guy. What do I want people to know about him um, that I could ask that might give him some insight? That's former White House press secretary and current Newsmax TV talk show host Sean Spicer. Sean's recently published book is titled Leading America, President Trump's Commitment to People, Patriotism, and Capitalism. If you'd like to hear the entire interview from which that segment was excerpted, it'll be posted on the Michael Harrison Interview podcast this coming Tuesday at mhinterview.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's head out now to America's Deep South, Oxford, Mississippi, and a visit with Lee Habib, a major radio producer and the host of one of the medium's fastest-growing programs in national syndication, 
Our American Stories. Lee, you're recognized as one of the best storytellers in radio today, and you tell stories about American history, and you know a lot about history. How would you compare our history, going back away, to the current events we're living through today in terms of the divisiveness and the race relations that uh, are dominating our news? We're about to talk to the author of a book called Lincoln on the Verge. So Abraham Lincoln becomes president at a pretty difficult time in American history. Indeed, the minute he is announced to be the president, seven states secede from the Union, and they have an immediate goal of seizing Washington, D.C. Slightly more difficult than now, right, Michael? I mean, we can't imagine how much more difficult. A lot of this has been coming. We've seen national uh, up before 68 Ferguson these things happen and then they dissipate we get a little better each time not better enough but we go back to 1860 Lincoln was seen as a conquering emperor by the southern states the southern states wanted to extend slavery the northern states didn't many white people sacrificed their lives especially abolitionists fighting in a war to allow black people to no longer be property and ultimately, and a remarkable American story, and we survived and got better. What I always like to write about is American resilience and the American character, that there have always been white people and black people of good conscience wanting to do good, and there have always been forces on the other side that didn't. And that struggle has been going on in this country since its founding when a third of the country didn't want to fight a revolution, a third did, and a third hid under their dinner table, hoping it would all go away. And also, Michael, we have to remember, 600,000 people died in the Civil War when the nation was a nation of 30 million. So that would be the equivalent today of losing 6 million of our own boys to each other, lost to each other, brother at sometimes killing brother. And we like to, in these times, remind people of who we are and who we can become. Lee, you know the old expression, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Well, you're doing a service to America by telling these stories of history. And I think that uh, for many, many of these stories are a revelation. We ask people to to send their stories because they're more important than the stories my team curates. We get a note from a man named Plessy. His last name is Plessy, and he's from New Orleans. And I'm thinking, wow, Plessy v. Ferguson came from New Orleans, and there was actually a man named Plessy and a man named Ferguson. One worked for the state defending segregation, an attorney general, and one was the African-American litigant who decided to get on a, 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 in this case, a streetcar that was designated for white, and he was black. Plessy v. Ferguson went to the Supreme Court, And the Supreme Court ruled eight to one in favor of Ferguson. And only one justice said that this separation by color and separate but equal is done for only one reason, not to keep white from black from white, but to keep white from black. And it is punitive and it's a scar on the country. We like to remind people that there are deep wounds caused from the original sin of slavery. But at the same time, Michael, we tell the story, for instance, of Booker T. Washington and Du Bois. These are two very different visions for the future of America. One says, study free enterprise, study capitalism, and let's learn how to grow our own pot. Let's learn how to get capital by saving money. Let's learn how to grow our businesses. He is vilified in large parts of of, of academia today. Du Bois said the struggle is one for government. It's a, he was a ribald socialist. And so we had, a, we had a little microcosm inside the black community of a struggle. By the way, we have this in the white community. We have socialists. We have free enterprise people. We battle. And if you notice, white people, the voters vote about 50-50. And that split vote keeps both sides honest. And so when we just tell these stories. We let people make up their own minds. But most Americans don't know Plessy v. Ferguson. They don't know that our Supreme Court not only sanctioned segregation, but in Dred Scott, it sanctioned the ownership of African Americans as, as likened to cattle. 
That's Lee Habib, the producer and host of the nationally syndicated nonpartisan radio program titled Our American Stories. Coming up next, a conversation with a media personality who's been ranked for the past two years in a row at number one on the talkers list of the 100 most important radio sports talk show hosts in America, in which we'll discuss the state of the sports industry as America carefully begins to open up. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 1047 Wonk FM. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was just this big study about anxiety among us. Really interesting in this study about what can keep us up at night. One of the top stressors out of all the things to worry about is paying for health care. A huge majority of us say we're worried about that. It's totally understandable, but there's an affordable alternative to health insurance. It's MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, and it has worked beautifully for more than 25 years. And not only do people save lots of money, they get access to a huge network of doctors. They get to take advantage of 24-7 live access online where they can talk to a doctor and even get prescriptions. And of course, there is the savings. With MediShare, the typical family saves $500 a month. That can help you sleep easier, too. There's a lot to love about it. No wonder it's grown so much. Here is the number to find out more. Call 855-SHARE-40. That's 855-SHARE-40. 855-SHARE-40. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week and the national conversation. A major part of the conversation takes place in sports talk media, and with the pandemic came major issues impacting sports and the discussion of the games, which of course has proven especially difficult since there have been no games. The subject of sports is key to our collective state of mind, not to mention the economy. I caught up with one of the leading sports talk media hosts in America, Fox Sports Radio and Television personality Colin Cowherd. Colin, the pandemic has certainly wreaked havoc on sports talk, radio, and television without the game. So you folks have been talking about a lot of things, and uh, and that includes race relations and uh, politics. Would you say that the sports listener falls into a certain political mindset, or are they all over the place politically? I tend to think sports fans lean conservative. Uh, the conservative party... You know, you can write down the four or five things they deeply care about on a card. Uh, I think the liberals tend to be a little more nuanced. Um, you know, there's an old saying, um, Democrats fall in love with a candidate, conservatives fall in line. And I think sports fans, winners, losers, standings, uh, you're a loser, there's punitive action taken, you're a winner, you're elevated, Sports are generally, although analytics has added a nuance to it, but sports are generally pretty simple. Win, don't lose, be a hero, not a goat, um, work hard, overcome, uh, no excuses. I don't think that's really life. I think life is much more gray and sports can be much more black and white. So politically, I think overwhelmingly moderate to right is probably where 75% of sports fans lean. But I do think we have a new wave of younger sports fans that are a little more tolerant, a little more flexible politically, and uh, that's a welcome addition. What do you think is going to happen uh, as a result of, of what has happened? Uh, how is this going to affect the sports industry as it tries to get back on its feet? Um, I know some teams are just loaded with dough and they're making money and they've got great deals. Others, you know, are facing more of a struggle. In the American business community, there it's kind of a, you know, a shakeout. Um, how, how will this affect this, this shutdown? And the fact is we're not really back yet even. What do you think is going to happen in terms of the sports business in general as a result of what's happened this year? Well, I think, you know, I think if baseball doesn't get their act together, it could really be uh, damaging long term um, to their sport, to their social currency. Hmm. I, think, I think baseball is a habit sport. It's not stylish like the NBA. We don't bet on it like football. 
it doesn't have that tribal um, weekend feel like college football, uh, where if your team loses, you're sick. You don't want to go to work on Monday. Um, it will become more niche if they go, you know, 18 months without playing because it's a sport that's always lived via the newspaper that you get into a habit, the box score. It's just part of your summer listening. You get into the car, you're going to the store, oh, the Dodgers are on, the Phillies are on. Mm. I think once people break the habit of baseball, it doesn't have the star power of basketball to suck you back in or or the, the gambling um, kind of edge to it that football has to get you back in. So I think baseball really needs to play. I, I think strikes and labor stoppages have hurt baseball more than other sports. Speaking of gambling, um, what impact has that had on the calling of the games or the the reporting on the games or just talking about, uh, let's talk about football? Um, It's become such a prevalent thing in American culture. What impact has gambling had on sports, in your opinion, but also in the broadcasting of sports? Well, um, I think sports gambling is great for my business. If you have 50 bucks in a game and the game's a blowout, but you've got the under, you'll stick around and watch that game longer because you now have, you know, a, a fiduciary <laughs> connection mm. uh, to the game. So I think, I think sports gambling is just great for our business. It makes people watch more and watch longer. Um, I, I don't think there's any downside. I think with the budget shortfalls because of the pandemic, states are going to be more willing to approve um, sports gambling in their jurisdictions and their states. So I think it is a it is a avalanche coming downhill fast. It is going. It's a gold rush for investors. The DraftKings, um, you know, look at what it did for barstool sports and pen gaming. So I think I, I don't see a downside to, to sports gambling at all. I think it makes people more emotionally invested in the games they already love. This whole situation of playing before empty stadiums, do you think that's a dangerous thing? Do you think that that will, could ruin the game? Uh, and, and what impact do you think it'll have on um, just illustrating how important the fan is to the game itself in the arena or at the stadium? Oh, I think, it's, I think the fan's very important. No question. I mean, all you have to know is, have you ever spoken in front of 500 people? Are you a little anxious? You wouldn't be if nobody was in the room. You know, people, crowds, noise affects performance. Is that, you know, I mean, let's be honest. If I'm trying to hit a 30-foot putt at the Masters on Sunday and I've got, I can hear people whispering and there's these, you know, these effects that are happening emotionally based on the history of the event, how I've played, the fans watching, the TV cameras. Suddenly I've got 1,900, 2,000 people around me on the 18th green, and they're all quiet. <laughs> you know, like, of course it matters. It, 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 it's, I think there's an additive nature to an emotional additive to somebody rooting for you, somebody rooting against you. Um, I mean, let, let's be honest. In, in basketball especially, when you have the fans' proximity right next to the players you can have a conversation with a player you can't tell me if i'm if i'm literally playing in front of my home fans and i and i dunk the ball and they erupt that it doesn't increase my energy my testosterone i think of course it does and i think fans have an absolute impact and the the games will feel just simply more hollow it's interesting. I've been watching, uh, some people don't consider it a sport, but it is a sports exhibition. I've been watching how Vince McMahon has tried to continue with his WWE uh, with empty with an empty uh, stadium, uh, arena, and now they have a few people there, and, they, and you hear, like, sparse cheering, and it's really made a difference. But it almost seems completely ludicrous watching them performing without that crowd. So much of it is playing to the oh, crowd. Yeah. And uh, yes, I, I totally agree. I like I watched some German soccer the other day without crowds, and it's flat. Yeah, flat. It's just simply flat. Yeah. So, so, so that is without uh, without question a, a problem. News talk radio. Um, you know who who does it represent? My feeling is, my opinion is that that news talk radio should represent the voter, not the parties, not the politicians, not big business. But when you're a host on radio doing news talk, 
you're representing the voter. Now, I also believe, and I, I'd like your reaction to this, that the sports talk host represents the interests of the fan, not the players, not the owners, not the sponsors, even though they all play a role in the well-being of the industry, but the, the, the general vibe, the general um, loyalty of the person on the air, in my opinion, should be to the fan. Am I naive? Uh, am I wrong? What do you think about that dynamic? Uh, I don't think you're naive. I've always considered myself the fans are the jury, the players are the attorneys, and I'm the judge. And I am trying to give you an honest, forthright opinion as simply and transparently as possible. And I want to go in with very little emotion, uh, gather facts, and render a decision. And, um, and my, my fans, to some degree, are they're the jury. <laughs> they decide if my argument was compelling or not, or convincing or not. But I don't, I've never seen myself as the voice of a fan Although I, I think about the fans when I'm putting stuff together, I think about, you know, like I'm interested in what the fans are interested in. So like a lot of times when I listen to sports radio, I'm kind of interested to hear the callers on other shows. I don't use them because I have a simulcast to just see what, what, what are they interested in? But I don't feel a loyalty to have share the opinion they do because I have more access to information than they do. Mm. And therefore, I don't feel a loyalty. They don't have a Rolodex like me. They don't, they're not talking to NFL GMs. So I don't feel I have, to, I have to go there and mirror their opinions. I understand that. I guess what I was coming from is more uh, just their investment in the sport, that fans are often ripped off, high prices, high tickets. They, they don't have access to the best seats always. Sometimes they, they have to sit in freezing weather where maybe they should have done something yeah. about it. In other words, the, 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 not, not the opinions of the fans, but rather their well-being. Being a fan is very expensive. It either costs you a lot of money or it costs you a lot of time and emotion. I have a friend in Sports Talk Radio who calls me a fair weather fan and i say no i'm not a fair weather fan the team owes me the obligation if i'm going to invest money time and emotion they owe me to make a best effort in putting a contender on the field it doesn't have to win the championship every year but it has to be except if it's a rebuild year it has to be a contender what do you think i totally agree i've said this forever you would never go to a restaurant that in back-to-back -back visits the service was awful. You'd be like, I'm done going to the restaurant. But a fan will be loyal for years when the quality of the product is egregiously bad. So I believe fans' ultimate power is holding bad owners accountable. James Dolan is cashing big checks. Why should he change? If Madison Square Garden was empty, he would change. So I completely concur that the fans' ultimate power they possess based on buying, purchasing tickets. And when you have a bad owner, don't buy tickets, buy them on a secondary market, but don't give a bad owner the satisfaction or the leverage of consuming his product. That's Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports Radio and Television. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Now let's turn our attention to the amazing advancements we're seeing in communications technology as it evolves at an extremely rapid rate during the pandemic. Joining us is our international woman in the nation's capital, the executive director of the DC radio company, Victoria Jones. People are starting to have sex again, apparently. Mm. And uh, the New York City Health Department is recommending that uh, if you're going to have sex, because the virus spreads through breathing in close proximity, like panting, um, you should wear a mask, possibly. That could prove amusing. <laughs> yes. Well, the health department has guidelines. They say, make it a little kinky. Oh, a Indeed. little kinky. Are you serious? Yes, the, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Where, where, who, who put this out? The the Center for Disease Control or, or? no, New York City Health Department. The New York City Health Department actually uses the word kinky in official literature and instructions on how to be have safe sex in the era of coronavirus. Kinky. Yes. Yes. Okay. It goes. It goes on to say. I'm all ears. Uh, 
Well, they yes. Well, now you're wearing your mask, right? Be well. creative <laughs> with sexual <laughs> positions and physical barriers like walls that allow sexual contact while preventing close face-to-face -face contact. Walls. Mm. Okay, so we're not talking we're not talking about like walls between rooms. We're talking about plexiglass barriers. <laughs> sort of like when you go to the to the bank teller or the subway uh, <laughs> station and you have this little slit that you're able to put the money through. Well, <laughs> I don't want to go too far in that direction. Or cardboard or something. You can put cardboard. I don't I don't know, but I suppose the idea is that you're on one side of something or they're on the a partition. A partition, right, 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 yeah. as opposed to a wall. I, yeah. I mean, it know. sounds to me like people are going to get the giggles so badly with this that nobody's going to be having any sex anyway. Uh -huh. They also say, if you're thinking about sex on the Internet, they advise sexy Zoom parties. Sexy Zoom parties. So that means group sex. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's group sex. It's, it's, it's virtual group sex is what they're recommending. That's Victoria Jones, the executive director of the DC Radio Company. And that brings us to the conclusion of another program. This has been the Michael Harrison Wrap, looking back at this past week of Monday, June 8th through Friday, June 12th, 2020. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. And that does it for this week's installment of The Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications in association with Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.